This is Weiss. And I'm Elmas. And welcome to another episode of the Samovar Network. This is actually interesting. I've never done this kind of intro with the camera on. It's very intimidating. Uh, I'm like staring at myself and, and seeing all the quirks, which is never a good thing. But um, so this episode was it's an episode to provide space for queer and trans Afghan voices within the diaspora, both here and abroad. We had some great guests who provided their insight and reflections on such an important topic. This was also an episode that we recorded in June to coincide with Pride Month. And uh, Almas, why don't you tell us sort of where the conversation went? Yeah, um, so Kais, Diba, and Wazina John joined us as co-hosts on this episode, and we talked about a lot of interesting themes, uh, including the complexity of closets, and that coming out isn't always just a one-time experience, um, the role of language, uh, and naming ourselves and each other. Um, it's especially interesting because one of our speakers, Diba John, uh, who joined us from Germany, was speaking Farsi in this episode. Um, so it was a really interesting uh, dynamic to take part in and witness that, uh, that theme specifically. Um, we also talked a lot about decolonizing queer and what that entails um, and allyship within collectivist communities. Specifically. As with always, these, uh, each of us are just, we're speaking on behalf of ourselves, our own experiences. And again, we can't possibly cover everything in these conversations. So for those who are listening, if you feel like the conversation maybe didn't hit something that you were interested in, you know, just, just know that we, we want this to be a necessary conversation that not only did we have today, but also that we continue to have. And it's important to keep that conversation going. So as with always, if you like what you hear and you, uh, want to continue to explore what the Samoar Network has done, please follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our website, samoarnetwork.com. And additionally, if you like what you hear and, and you really want to make sure that you continue to support us, one of the best ways to do that is to follow us on wherever you get your podcasts, to rate, subscribe, and, prefer, or, and comment. Preferably something nice, like, hey, this was a great talk. Uh, Weiss really provided a lot of insight. Almas is an incredibly intelligent person, and I enjoyed listening to what she had to say. I'm just, look, I'm not telling you exactly what to write, but if you DM me, I can tell you exactly what to write. So, <laughs> anyway, I hope you enjoy. We had a very amazing conversation with some incredible people. So, yeah, enjoy. The Samovar Network. So, welcome to another episode of the Samovar Network. Uh, we're here today with some very special people. Uh, before we begin, I want to explain the format of this episode. 
um, usually those impacted uh, most directly by institutional oppression are asked to carry the burden of labor when it comes to sharing their experiences or talking about these really abstract things um, that are not just abstract but close to their lived experiences. Um, they were doing things a little differently in that uh, we're here to have a collaborative conversation with Kais, um, Wazina, and Diba John, uh, where they're not only co-hosts but co-collaborators in this, in this conversation. Um, that addresses homophobia, transphobia, um, other forms of oppression in our communities. Um, and yeah, we're here to talk about some really complex and interesting things. Um, I'm really, really excited to be talking with you all today. I, I think it'd be helpful if we take a moment to introduce ourselves, mention our pronouns, where we're talking from. Uh, I, I can start. Um, my name is Almas, my pronouns are she and her. And I am speaking from London, Ontario, uh, Canada, not England. <laughs> Kais, do you want to go next? My name is Ahmad Kais Manhazim. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. And I'm speaking from Philadelphia, United States. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I am Diba. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. I'm from in Germany, in Hamburg, uh, now I am in Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, hi everyone, I'm Wazina, uh, Wazina Jwandun, my pronouns are they and she, and I am in the office of my little sister Shad in Old Bridge, New Jersey, but I live in New York City. Uh, Salam everyone, my name is Weiss. I'm uh, also a Samoa Network coordinator along with Almas. Or, sorry, pronouns are he, him, and calling from Los Angeles. Nice. Uh, thanks for introducing yourselves and, and sharing the space with us here. Um, I know we wanted to talk about the complexities of closets, and I know that speaks a lot to the research that you've done, Kais, if you want to speak to that. Uh, yes, that's uh, a great place to start because um, I've done my work, uh, ethnographic work, field work with African Americans, uh, particularly in Washington, D.C., Virginia, um, also California and Maryland. Um, so coming out oftentimes came up during that time, but also uh, I wanted to first give a context. What does coming out mean? What do we mean by coming out? Um, coming out is uh, particularly in relation to queer and trans identities. I use queer as an umbrella term for um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, um, asexual, and intersex communities. Um, so coming out particularly means accepting oneself and their truth about their gender and sexuality, but then also revealing it to others, uh, revealing it to close friends, revealing it for, to family, and in a way, confessing it. And so it becomes a more of a process of confession, and which continues throughout people's lives, because coming out is not just one moment, it happens um, over time, and it happens multiple times, and in multiple places, 
because people tend to come in and come out of what they call the, the queer and trans closets. Um, so that's the basic um, construction of coming out. And it's oftentimes um, practices and traditions that are mostly Western. So they're oftentimes in Europe, it's North America. So places that um, are um, influenced by liberal systems and structures. And, and, um, yeah, yeah, and I was going to say that for coming out is oftentimes in those contexts of um, more Western European, and I'm going to also often name it as countries and places where culturally it's like more whiteness and mm -hmm. whiteness, um, the experience of like white queer people or LGBTQ community members oftentimes get projected onto or mapped onto our experiences as mm -hmm. queer people, necessitating that we have the same versions of outness and the same coming out experiences. And without that, ours is somehow, or anybody is, is less legitimate or not done appropriately or correctly, as if there's a singular trajectory. Mm -hmm. And there isn't a singular trajectory of what out experiences, even as, as a queer Afghan out person, right, all of us will have very, very different um, a different trajectory, um, and there's no singular correct way to do. There's no completion point, um, mm -hmm. unless you personally identify it as your completion point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. Um, as Wazina said, that people don't have this one singular way of coming out, and that's uh, what I have noticed, especially in the Muslim uh, communities and also within the Afghan community. There's so much pressure on the queer and trans people, and uh, we have talked this before with conversations with Zina and also Almas that how coming out itself becomes this pressure on people, which we are already experiencing so many other forces in life, which is exile, the forces of being displaced from our, our home, and also the surveillance of state policing. Um, the diaspora itself has so much sadness and violence that coming out for the queer and trans Muslims in general, but also Afghans in particular, becomes a burden. Uh, but then also it becomes a loss because they do gain um, some freedom, but also they lose. They lose some relationships, family members, support systems. So it, it is very, very complicated. And for that matter, um, there is a lot of Afghans that I have met and I've talked to them about these issues. They really complicate coming out in their own authentic ways. Um, living in the closet itself and being queer and trans um, should be celebrated as much as coming out because there's not one way of living a queer and trans life. There's multiple ways that we can exist. And closet itself is forces um, that allows people some sort of freedom, but within this clandestine um, space that is secretive, that we can hold our secret. We don't have to share it all the time everywhere. What do you think, Lazina, <laughs> with uh, especially question of holding secret? Sorry, did I lose you all? Yeah. I, yes. Uh, so my question was back. I was trying to like uh, uh, gauge uh, your ideas with 
being in the closet is it's a way of also like holding secret. And I, I, I just think, see that as like a power at times because you have this like magical <laughs> uh, power that nobody knows who you are and you don't have to like reveal, but you can reveal yourself partly at times when you're comfortable and then disclose yourself again or, or, or unreveal yourself. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, it allows for, um, whether it's like the, depending on who you let in, right? So there's the magic, then as a result, if I share with somebody authentically who I am, that speaks to the depth of affinity that I have, love for them, like for them, whatever you know, the case may be. So I do, I do, um, I've learned more and more that it's not, it's not, it's a secret that's not a burden. It's one that's chosen. Because there's a distinction between the lies we tell and the secrets we hold. Yes. Um, and, and now more and more, somebody, I, I, I am out professionally in very many, many ways, but I also am very compartmentalized in my, uh, what I'm out and who I tell that to. Um, but I no longer feel like I'm lying. I just choose not to share that part of myself in this moment. Um, and I, as a sexuality educator and the work that I do with teachers and other folks and, you know, the, the sex ed work I do is encourages and reminds folks that it's holistic. Our experiences of sexual identity, gender, body image, you know, it's all many, many layers that intersect one another. Um, mm -hmm. And then I think about everyone has a sexual identity, everyone has a sexual orientation, a gender identity. And at what points do our cis siblings, our heterosexual siblings, you know, figuratively or otherwise get mm -hmm. to come out? Yes. And I say this, and I'm saying this, I'm offering this to Weiss as well, to consider this kind of question, and you uh, tune in in a moment, or like a, definitely if you were interested in speaking to that. Um, but I also think about the sexual self-expression that I was taught as an Afghan girl child, an Afghan woman in America. My sisters who are heterosexual do not come out about their sexual identity, their straightness in any way, shape, or form. Um, I remember the story, my cousin got, well, got married to a man, got pregnant, was very excited, and she, told, she called her father. And my uncle was like, oh, like, this is clearly an American thing. Why are you calling me to tell me you're pregnant? And she's like, aren't you excited? He's like, no, you're not supposed to call your father and tell him. Like, of course, please do tell me. He was really excited, but he's like, culturally, that's not a thing, you, even yeah. though you're married. So I think about the sexual identity development expression that, um, Overall, um, many of us have much more over overlap um, with um, than maybe with my like my like American non-Afghan non-Muslim uh, friends in their sexual development. I'll mm -hmm. leave it there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, um, I'm a, a question was presented to me. So I'll I'll go ahead and I'll speak on it. Uh, I mean, I think there is a point to that when. There's certainly also intersections with all of this, where even within cis, uh, cis heterospaces that I um, was essentially effectively raised in, I mean, there was still the double standard anyway, where as, as, a, as a straight woman, because I, I grew up with, with a sister, so I have, um, I, I witnessed certain experiences that I didn't necessarily share. Although at the same time, to your point, sexuality even for me as a 12 13 14 year old wasn't it was still pretty closeted in a way itself i 
there were, I remember when I was in middle school, like seeing like white friends, predominantly white friends, like talking about having girlfriends, talking about dating and things like that. And in my head, I was just like, you brought your date to your house? <laughs> like, that was a thing you can do? And they were like, yeah, my, my, you know, my, my girlfriend and I watched a movie with my parents, which was a concept that was so foreign to me, where it's just like, even within cis households, like for, for me or for anyone else, it's like you were expected to eventually get married, but everything prior to that point was was essentially a don't ask don't tell policy <laughs> where you don't share any details you don't say exactly how it was going to get done you just get it done so and then once that happens then the family gets involved and things like that so i and you know your your point kind of reminds me a lot of i don't know how many people have watched this movie but love simon where it's like why should the burden fall on the LGBTQ community to be quote unquote coming out of the closet. Like, why can't that be a burden for straight people as well? Because discovering your own sexuality is something, is an experience for everybody. Everyone at one point discovers their sexuality. Uh, but as a straight person, I'm not obligated to make that as some sort of bold proclamation. Um, so, yeah, just. It's, it's, a, it's a concept that I, because like, I don't remember. I don't remember the exact time. I don't remember the exact date that I discovered that I was straight. And I think that's telling because I feel like we're, at least I fall victim to it, of expecting uh, people within the LGBTQ community to identify the exact time that it happened. Mm. But whereas I, have, I, never, I never had to think about it. Mm-hmm. I think that's really telling for how the heteronormative um, expectation is pushed on you from a very early age, as soon as you know you're born into your family, and just before you're born. <laughs> before you're born, yeah, yeah, um, from like gender reveal parties to yeah. they're so tacky, so so tacky. Um, I would <laughs> rather like a zodiac reveal party; <laughs> be much more interesting. Like my child is a Gemini. I'm so sorry for your loss, and no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> like you pluck I, a balloon and crabs fall out? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, it's interesting how uh, it becomes like a joke, too. Have you ever mm-hmm. seen like those baby clothes that are like, uh, this is my girlfriend, or um, mm-hmm. like Playa, or something like that? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you're, you're already ascribing a sexuality to a baby which is in itself problematic like you're sexualizing a child but also you're forcing a child to fit this heteronormative uh, mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dibajan, باید بکل برای فیقایخت میگن من اصلا همجزگراستم نی اما کسایی که نیستن ستریت اصلا اونا ضرورت ندارن و هیچ وقت تو سرشان فشار نامده که باید بگوین برای کس آشکار کنن که چی هستن نی خودت به حساب چی نظر داری از خصوصا در قسمت خودت یعنی زندگی خودت یا قسمت اگر میخوایی که 
umuman da podreka sa ika trans hastan ga bezani do jensa oshkar kardan ba isab jensiat o gender o ina chadar fshare balay mardom men laza va chi dard hai ra vaya dadam be kashada u jiriyan ya به یک مسئله خیلی مهم شارک کردین در مملکت ما که افغانستان نام داشته باشد ما هنوز یک پرابلم بسیار کلانی که داریم هنوز همو حتی سکسوالا مرد یا زن که هستن خوشتن زنا با وقتی که میخواهن نرسیدن باز اگر من هست من یک نفر که حال نرتماده است نامای زیادی در روی ما است مرک خویش و خود جامعه نمیبینه و یه آشکارسازی مساوی بایست که تو همه چیز باید فراموش کنی یه همه چیز شامل چیز شامل فامیل کلان است و ترد میشی و امکان داره که کشته شوی اگر در افغانستان باشی اگر باز دیگه مملکت ها باشی بازم تنایی باید یک زندگی را خود پیش ببری و کسی مسئله را در افغانستان 99% مسئله ایش در کده نمیتانند چون انوز اون مملکت خیلی پرابلم های دیگه داره تا که بخواه بیر به جنسیت مرا بخواه که چی است مرا بخواه کشف کنه خیلی ترجمه کنم همه قیشه اول اجازه است سو دیبا از اکسپلیننگ دات این افغانستان در از دیس ایون به هتروسکشوال پیپل the men and women don't know much about sexuality. And so let alone the queer coming out, the trans coming out. And then um, when it comes to the queer and trans people, particularly trans people of her own experiences, it's first, it's really hard for anyone to like reveal that, but also there are so many other problems and complexities in life living in Afghanistan that sometimes people don't think about coming out, which, I was mentioning that earlier to my point that we have so many other issues even in the diaspora. So similarly in Afghanistan, it's similar to that. And also that um, where Diba has lived in Iran, uh, she mentioned, and also in Afghanistan, uh, being trans is, is itself um, exposes them to a lot of violence, particularly murder. Um, and so coming out then becomes very, very difficult in those instances. Bubugin, Edama Bhutin. Diba? Bale, bale, ma'am Bhutin. The only feeling, masalai ke paine mos, muskin ke as, مادر مملکتی زندگی میکنیم که او مملکتی است که دین اسلام داشت و دین اسلام مطلقاً با این مسئله مخالف است و استاد شده مقابلش اما با مو وجود مردم خصوصا مردای بسیاری اینا بی سکسوال هستند و خودشان خبر ندارند مثلا یک مرد چون پایین بسیار خوب بود دیبا اگین ادد دت افغانستان از کانتری And so uh, obviously there's a lot of um, instances that are against homosexuality and trans um, identity that comes from the religion or people use that. And Diva was just adding that there are many people in Afghanistan, and many men who are bisexual, but they can't talk about it. Oh. Uh, 
و بیسکسوال هستن اما خود چون این را قبول نمیکنن باز میگن که نی کار آرام است و ای کار کسی کی کار میکنه ای جزا داره یک نفر که اکتیو است مثلا در سکس میگه یعنی او کدام پرابلم نداره چون اکتیو است اما یک نفر من هست که مک میتون مثلا شاید استایل دختر نمیزن ای آی و ای آرام است و دفعش مجازات های بسیاری است و این تفاوت ها تا وقتی باشه کس درد نمی کنه که بگم مینی هستم و همون که ما میهیم بگم بلکت ها میگم مینی هستم و رم با ترس Uh, that's a, another great point. Diva mentioned that many men in Afghanistan, those, the men who are bisexual, um, they don't even um, consider them bise- themselves bisexual, particularly if they play the role of a top. I mean, if they are um, in the gay relationships, particularly men to men, there are different roles, sexual roles. So those who are top and those who are bottom, and usually oftentimes who are top, they don't consider themselves gay. And it's usually the ones who are bottom. And so within that, it's really difficult because it exposes them to violence for a lot of these people to come out in Afghanistan. So that's why then the queer and trans Afghans have to, I mean, the lucky ones get to flee the country and the very few lucky ones and make it to another place and then um, outside to live their truth, but then they have lost so many other things in that process. Um, no, no, I, I, I was curious. I was starting to think about what then, how do we set up, how do we support, encourage, um, at least here in the the States or outside of Afghanistan, because that's, I think, who's listening mainly right now, but um, holding space or encouraging the allyship or the solidarity, the camaraderie, the, uh, you know, moving from being an ally to an accomplice, you know, thinking about even deeper in, in people's commitment to liberation or to co-liberation. Um, so what would it take to encourage more allies coming out of their closet um, or stepping up for, yeah, I'm just, I'm just like, this is just, you know, I know this is like the theme of our question of our conversation today also, um, because I've found various forms of that, right? I found Afghans that I grew up with sharing public information that I've done, like a link to something or a video. And then I, what I realize is that they're putting it out on their Facebooks, their social media. And I am the litmus test for whether or not they can then respond. What they will mm-hmm. often do is play the devil's advocate or be like, well, I just want to hold the space for everyone to have their opinions heard at my expense. Yes. Right. And I just happened to know that because I saw them post, yeah. you know, the video that Wazina did. And then it's the bombardment of terrible comments. I mean, to the point where I've gotten advocates tell me that, fine, I've heard this from other people, don't call yourself Muslim, which I proudly, proudly do call myself Muslim. But I even told people, been told by Afghans, do not, like, um, like ne- you're not Afghan. And I was mm-hmm. like, you can't dismiss my blood and beat, get out of here, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but it goes as far as that. However, those allies, so-called allies who put this out there, then don't 
defend or step up because they don't feel safe, right? Or there's something compromising for them. Will somebody think there's they're queer also, or or too sympathetic? So I like offer this as a whatever for us to discuss. Yeah, I think if there is too much of privilege that they hold, that it's just literally like white people, that it's so hard to shake them out of their privilege that they need to come as allies and what they can do. It's similarly to cis straight Afghans, that it's so hard for them to understand that they have this privilege that the queer and trans people don't have, that when they speak up while they are in the community, most of the times people wouldn't suspect that they are queer. And even that the suspect itself at times um, doesn't hurt them. But if a queer and trans person stands up for themselves or reveals themselves, it always ends up with, uh, with violence, with rejection. And, and to your point, I've seen many, many people, I mean, I went to the African American con uh, conference, which many people of this, some of our, who are the listeners have been in that space. Uh, I see them and in there, there are these amazing performative <laughs> allies, but then I don't see them actually doing any allyship. Um, except for maybe one or two of them that I can name or count on. The rest, they're just silent. They're just this like, oh, like you, I, you're, you're all welcome in my private space and like we can be friends. But you know what? There hasn't been even once to see them on their social media to write anything about queer and trans. And especially particularly at times like right now that they're talking about racism within the Muslim communities and the Afghan communities. Um, the allyship that they are showing, this should needs to extend to also uh, black trans and black queer people. Because when we talk about support to the black communities and uh, our allyship and our solidarity, uh, that also extends to the trans and queer people. So it needs to happen and it needs to happen now without uh, these sort of performative allyships that they have, they need to um, unpeel their layers and layers of privilege. And within that, they can pave the way for others to, to live in a peaceful uh, society. I think, it's, I think it's important to note too, and, and Kaisa, that was really well said, that it's queer and trans uh, black folks are not are not only the most disregarded victims of police brutality, but they're usually at the forefronts of um, activism around those topics. And very similarly, in my experiences, I've seen that um, it's a lot of LGBT and queer Afghans who are also at the forefronts of fighting things like Islamophobia and racism and um, refugee rights within the countries that they live in. Um, mm -hmm. But they, they don't they don't receive the same type of support and. Private doesn't count, in, in my opinion, um, that they do for their communities. Mm -hmm. um, I was gonna, this, I thought it was a, a good or na more natural pivot to this other, other part we're thinking of, want to discuss today, which is languaging and our language that we use and, and why what Al-Masri got me thinking um, was also, if, if it is the most marginalized of us, queer, trans, um, hyphenated Afghans, um, oftentimes any of us being first or second generation refugees or immigrant parents, we have a closer proximity to understanding, I'm not gonna, not all, because there are very problematic queer and trans Afghans, 
Um, but many of us have a closer proximity, maybe affinity and understanding of how our struggles are mm, co-aligned, uh, how they overlap and why it's so necessary for us to be on the forefronts. Um, but I think about this, the, the being on the margins. And so for me, I use the word queer and I appreciate that, um, place you had said that, you know, raising queer as an umbrella term for our mm -hmm. conversation, but I know I specifically use, and I name myself as a queer Afghan and, um, because for many reasons, one is because of the sexual and gender, um, breath it gives me, um, yeah. you know, I don't identify as pansexual or, or bisexual, but I do understand there's multiple there's more than just two genders for me um, and that I have an attraction to different expressions of gender. Um, I also really like going away from like love is love and like I, just a gay and lesbian is also still very like whitewashed language for me. Um, and because I don't always think my, my sexual orientation, who I have hook up with, have sex with, sometimes has nothing to do with love. It's just lust. It's just something physical. So I'll just want to definitely own that part. And I think queerness allows for that. Um, unapologetic, it is not about love, it's just a physical thing. Um, but I also truly love the word queer as a political term because in this country, as a Muslim, as a daughter of refugees, um, there are institutional and political and social, there's laws made to vilify me as a Muslim. And so as a result, and there's imperialism, there's like the war machine that will continue always to kill Muslims in other countries. So as long as those things exist, we are consistently and constantly queer. We are always made to be other, marginalized. Mm -hmm. And so not just, and like queer, not just as a sexual orientation term, but like many of us are queered in this country, um, but we don't step up because we are clinging to power or a form of power that probably will never give, they'll never give, give it to us genuinely, but I think about um, like just queer, um, serving multiple, um, you know, um, multiple purposes uh, for self-identification. But many of us have had bad experiences with that. So I don't know if Diva would like to speak to that, um, Almas or Pais, like um, how language has been hard to mm -hmm. find to name ourselves with that. Diva Jan, وزینه بسیار موضوع خوب رو آوردن به حساب زبان که در زبان مثلا فارسی خودت زبان فارسی صحبت میکنی زبان دری بعضی از این الفاظی که ما میگیم واژه هایی که به حساب کویر میگیم یا اینکه گی نا اصلا وجود ندارن اگر وجود داره به شکل های دیگه است چی فکر میکنی کدام واژه رو به خودت استفاده میکنی و چی مشکلاتی هست در خود زبان فارسی یا خصوصا در قسمت همی باجه هایی که بایست برای مردم کویر و یا ترانس وجود نداره yeah. داخل افغانستان خواه کدام واجی خاص وجود نداره اما اگه بیشتر بچه ها را برمی منحیس میشنسن که کسی که با بچه میخوایم خوابی کنه و میگه او ایزک است و یا میگن کونی اما کدام اسپیشال یا نام محترمانه نداره و ما مثلا در ایران که بودم در ایران چون کمی اونجا 
بهتر است باز نام ماندن مثلا هم جنسگرای مرد هم جنسگرای زن ترانس ترانس ام تو اف اف تو ام یا لس بیش میشناسن اما به حد آگاهی افغانای ما در بسیار کم است که اوش او یک بچه افغان دوستم است دو سال امرای من دوستم است چی میگه دی با تو لس بیش میکنی ما گفتم که شاید میدان لس بیش که منظور که من مثلا خود من دختر میگیرم امرای دخترم سکس میکنم امرای ترانس گفتم منظور چیست گفت منظوری که مثلا تو امرای بچه ها لسپیش میکنی من گفتم تو نمیفهمی باز برای من توضیح دادم که چی گفت بس متاسفانه کدام کلمی مناسب وجود نداره بیشتر نامترمانه از هر چی گفت دیبا جست سپندد اور نالج ان دی ترمینالوجی زد اگزیست اور دی لاک اف ایت ان فارسی ان دری Uh, because Diva has lived experience in Afghanistan and also in, in Iran and also a very, very well-spoken Farsi speaker. Um, so uh, this is a good place to like also like learn from Diva's knowledge and language in that in Afghanistan, Diva mentioned that um, there are no respectful terms for the queer and trans. The terms that are used are Isaac and Kuni, which are derogatory terms. terms that are used to demean and humiliate um, the same-sex relationships or trans relationships and um, the, the identities and experiences of people. Uh, but also uh, mentioned that there's also not much knowledge about sexuality. Therefore, there hasn't been a, a space or a place for it to develop terminologies around these identities. And therefore, even people who live, um, he was giving an example of someone in, in Germany, uh, her own friend for the past two years, who also uh, living in Germany doesn't understand what trans means, what lesbian means, and what these relationships embody. So there is lack of that even when Afghans move and live in the diaspora, so they carry that with them. پرسان کردن که من خود من چی میتونم نام بمانم من با توجه به اینکه حالی پنج سال میشه ماجرت کنم در مملکت اروپایی آمدم و واجه ها رو بیشتر آشنایی دارم اما من خودم یک پسر میدانم بچه میدانم که متولد شدم و همیشه شاید یک احساس داشتم که همیشه دختر باشم اما خود دختر من نیستم من میتونم خودم یک بچه بنام که احساس دارم که از لحاظ جنسیتی با بچه ها باشم و ما احساس های دخترانه مثل کالا پوشیدن اینا رو دارم و خودم کشف میکنم که اگه نام بمانم من شاید پسانا نام ماندم این آسو این ریلیشن تو هر اون ایدنتیتی دیبا از کمپلکیتنگ دات اندرستاندنگ آف دات now living in Germany for the past five years uh, and, and coming to um, understand other terminologies that exist here and also with the knowledge uh, Diba has of these terminologies in Afghanistan. Uh, for Diba, um, Diba identifies as a boy, as a, as, a, as a guy or as a man, but also who tends to like other men, uh, who also tends to like women's clothes or the clothes that are often identifier of women. So it's much complicated. And then at the end, Diva mentioned that um, as I'm learning all this, as I'm exploring myself, one day I'll come with a term that I identify with, which doesn't have to be with, with the community or with these 
already labeled that exists in the community. This is a revolution in itself and something that I think a lot of queer and trans people um, hopefully will do in the future. I think that uh, that fluidity of that of that journey is is a really beautiful sen that sentiment. I think um, mm -hmm. it's interesting how much language can be freeing, but also a construct. Um, sorry, um, constricting. Mm -hmm. I think I think maybe Wazina, you can speak to this. I'm I'm thinking of even myself and probably many of you growing up. How little knowledge we had. Of, of different narratives, of different experiences, of different ways of living. Um, and if there were any gaps in terms of education within the home or within the school systems. Um, I don't know, I guess I'm curious to, of what you think the, the role of, as an educator, what your, what your perspective is on, uh, yeah. on, on the complexity and importance of language. Yeah, I mean, our, I mean, language is, I mean, if you don't have the right words to name yourself, then you don't almost don't exist. And then there's the language that does exist for and about people who look like you, your parents, and it's used in derogatory ways or used in ways that don't really fit. And then you're like, then do I fit in this thing? Um, and the right or the wrong, the wrong language can just tear your entire psyche and being apart, right? And schools are where. You know, we encourage and we, the exploration of such things, um, you know, schools both for learning and socializing and just all these all, all different purposes of what schools are meant to be. Schools are also meant to be care institutions. They're not meant to be places where you just bank knowledge into a poor child's head and make them pass a test. Um, but schools, when they're not equipped to be trained, whether it's staff, faculty members, even curriculum, if it, the a school can be as great as it is, but if it's not reflecting the population or the population, the narratives, the multiple narratives in that student population, it does a lot of harm. Um, a big part of my work is um, working has been working with schools around making sure that they're not just like LGBT inclusive, but um, as a sex educator, training other sex educators and faculty so that they, they stop reinforcing the biases, conscious or unconscious, when it comes to identity. So like, best example is my works are homophobia and Islamophobia a lot of the time. And working with schools, realizing that they are perpetuating these Islamophobic narratives around how Muslim kids can't be gay or mm -hmm. suffer on their gender. And there's a lot of stuff that work there. Um, that I've been just challenging folks and the safe schools movement is doing a lot to ensure that there's LGBT visibility, but all of the posters and those sort of things only give like one or two black people, yeah. like Bayard Rustin and maybe like who, like maybe Laverne Cox in the last yeah. couple of years. Yeah. I was about to and say. then there's no Middle Eastern, no South Asian, nothing, right? Um, around anybody who could look like us. Um, so there's that piece. And then most schools say that they don't talk about faith, but yeah, we do, because guess who has Christmas break? You all do. Yeah. Um, but we don't have, you know, like, so, and then it continues to reinforce, or like, just reinforce um, our invisibility, um, both as, like, both when it comes to culturally, religiously, but also in our, ident like, sexual identities. Mm -hmm. um, that if you go to your teachers, and a lot of times, I mean, I, my big thing is working with also counselors and social workers, do not tell a kid to come out. Do not facilitate a conversation with a child to, to come out to their parents. Yeah. Um, and it's, 
I, I, I appreciate everyone's all kind of, we're all giggling because I do it because everyone's like, how would I do that? Um, so it's, um, so I'm just posing all these, this, a bunch of uh, responses, but um, anybody else can also respond or. Um, no, I, I really like the, the point that you brought up that your own work, uh, working at an intersection of homophobia and Islamophobia and how that also from a very young age in schools, this is like, um, both, there's a lack of that education around both of them, that how they both intersect. And then also these, um, from a very young age, not seeing any role model and, and who's also very much like you and who also embodies the same identities as you and who also has complex ways of uh, living impacts people's relationship with themselves when they're adults. And that takes me back to my own um, field work when I was doing with the Afghan American here in the US. Uh, it came up so many times that um, Afghans, Muslims in general, but also Afghans live in these very peculiar um, intimate spaces of homophobia and Islamophobia. So they are in this middle part that they have to continuously struggle to go this way or that way at times because the queer and trans community in overall is quite white and they're also quite Islamophobic. And then there's a Muslim community that is majority, a lot of them are homophobic and transphobic. So what happens with these um, queer and trans Muslims and also particularly queer and trans Afghans, especially who have had these experiences of the war of the empire, the war in Afghanistan that is continuing for the 19th year. And then they also need to protect their families. So in this conversation, um, I theorize something that I call matryushka doll subjectivity. So these matryushkas are, um, they call it also in Afghanistan Russian dolls in a lot of places. These are um, dolls very popular across different countries in Central Asia. And these are, um, as you can see, wooden painted dolls, colorful, that are different dolls nested in the, inside each other. And they also embody, as you can see, the inside of them reveals different colors, different genders. Mm. They also embody the concept of um, femininities and masculinities and the complexities of them. That how people don't know who you are, you reveal. So that's exactly what happens to queer and trans Afghans in the diaspora. The four forces of homophobia, uh, within their families and Islamophobia in public, they tend to uh, take on these forms or lives of matryushka dolls. They shield themselves to protect themselves from Islamophobia and homophobia and reveal themselves as they feel safe. So safety is so, so um, important, but also central for queer and trans Afghans, which for all queer and trans people, but particularly for queer and trans uh, of color uh, and Afghans. And so they reveal themselves based on how they feel comfortable and then, then again, close mm -hmm. themselves. So this is for their own survival, for the family's protection, for those expectations that they have from their families. And also um, some of them mentioned that 
our parents have lost so much back home. They have lost so much here. They, to bring us and raise us and give us a life that they couldn't have. So at the least I can do is to respect them and, 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 and make them feel that they, I am living their expectation. And, and of course they have their feelings of guilt that I am lying, but I think with all these conversations, we can build that uh, solidarity around those complexities that how uh, we have such complex lives coming out shouldn't be a force on people. Um, even if we are celebrating coming out, we should also celebrate Matyushkadal subjects who live complex lives in two different layers because they don't have a choice at times. Uh, by the way, for those who are just listening via the podcast, uh, Kais had a Russian nesting doll and was mm -hmm. opening it and closing it as he was speaking. So it was very good visually. So if you're mm -hmm. only listening via audio, please check the video um, because it was a very powerful mix of both visual and um, audio. Uh, one question that I have actually listening, um, especially when I was listening to Deepa and then as, as well with Kais is uh, you know, when, when Deepa was explaining aspects of her identity, I noticed, especially once the word trans comes in, and I think I may have picked up also the word queer, to use English words. Mm -hmm. And I, I do have a question when it comes to the concept of decolonizing queer. Um, the, how, how you all feel like, no, with this idea that like, because English is a colonizing language, mm -hmm. and it is a language that has packed into it uh, like centuries of imperialism and conquering and Islamophobia and uh, transphobia and all you know all sorts of phobias to it. How, especially when you're speaking Farsi, like to then have to transition to potentially to English when discussing concepts and identities like trans and 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 queer. I, I guess I was just opening the floor for anybody here, just how how you all feel um, doing that. I think there's a retraining um, that we have to do, and I think this speaks to the question that almost asked by schools, but when, because that that's, those schools are the, the vehicle, the vessel through which this, all this languaging gets uh, peddled onto us or internalized as priority. And I had to retrain myself to stop problematizing um, our culture. Um, and I'll say the, the reason I'm going to like just kind of a lot a convoluted anecdote, but when I, because of the role of teachers, I, I was very close to all my teachers all my life. And every single teacher took me under their wings. I think they thought that I came from a family that wasn't going to let me go to school. But my parents were like, they might be, they might have homophobic stuff in them, but they're less, they're, but they're less sexist. Let's say that. Um, but then I ended up problematizing my parents being like, they'll never get it because they're never going to, they're never going to be open to me being gay, all these things. And so I created this, this gap between us and it was very isolating for both of us. And I felt very alone without them. I believe in chosen family. Um, and as queer people kind of creating your own family that will love you in your authentic self as queer or trans and across and all the ways you identify. Um, but for some of us, it means leaving our family of origin. And it was very isolating to think about leaving my family of origin because I do love them. They know me very intimately. 
but then I started to remember that in our culture, there's so many ways that gender is expressed in a way that affirms me now. Mm-hmm. I think about surma on both men and women. I think about like, just like, and when my American friends would say that, they're like, oh my God, why is that guy wearing eyeliner? Like, you know, there's, but you're like, eyeliner is such a thing that we, they, we do. All genders do that, right? Um, the intimacy of same gender handholding. Um, men holding hands with men, and that may or may not mean anything about their sexual expression, but it's that there's, and I also really do enjoy using the word they, or the pronoun they for myself, because it's easier for me to say, you know, shema, or whatever, than, you know, like to use yeah. like, the, uh, a gendered yeah. one for it. So, it's, um, so I just, I just, those are the ways that I've learned to retrain and, um, kind of reprioritize our richer history that is yes has homophobia and transphobia in it and also other elements that um challenge what they say about who we are mm-hmm. and okay you're your back okay good <laughs> yeah I, w- I will just uh ask diba yeah uh, diba john uh زبان ما یا کارهایی که میکنیم اکثرش بسیاریش مثل کویر است یعنی سرما زدن نی مردم سرما میکنن تنها هم سرما میکنن خینه یا هنا on the hands دیگه چی جزایی را تو خودت متوجه شدی که در جرمنی مردها به حساب نمیکنن مردهایی که سرید است نی اما در افغانستان میکنن چون مردم ما یک کلچر داریم که بسیار به حساب سمیمانه است در این قسمت ها اما باز همینی بچه ها مثلا زیاد هم روی هم در پروفایل هاشون عکس میگیرن دیستن دیگر هم میمانن من حیث برادر امیوالی بیشون تو شیفت روق دیگر جانم برد بگر پاششان کل میکنن چیگه جانم بگر برادر حالا لباس های بسا به گرد دامن گرد کس نی؟ یا از اونا میپوشند و اتنی که میپوشن یا باز مثلا هم اگیشان لب سرک که میرن دست دست را میگردن برای ما تعجب هست ایجه که آمدم گفتم موکی ایجه که میبینم میگم گی است اما در افغانستان و ایران دو مرد دست و دست که بگیرن خود کدام پرابلم نیست بگن ما دوست هستن هم من دوال هستن اما بچیش اروپایی و امریکایی ها میگن اینا گی هستن که دست هم گرفتن. That's what um, Diva was uh, explaining, just adding to what Wazina Jan was mentioning about the very queer um, part of the Afghan uh, traditions and also uh, ways of life and holding hands between uh, same-sex people and, 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 and the intimacy between them that exists and also doing henna on the hands, khina, uh, wearing sarma uh, in their eyes, that uh, Diva was saying that if I see that in Germany, when I see two people holding hand, immediately I think that they are gay or queer. But then in Afghanistan, it doesn't cross your mind. But what happened, I remember living in Afghanistan, that narrative changed, is changing with the invasion of the U.S. So when the empire comes, they bring, of course, their views of homophobia with them. And within that, they started talking about Afghan men holding hands and then questioning their sexuality. There's a lot of work written about Afghan sexuality, particularly Pashtun sexuality, that they're all gay, they are holding hands. And those are ways that the empire or the the, the invading forces 
are trying to um, queerize and, 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 and sexualize the, the identity of and practice of Afghans and label it, which we don't have those labels. And those labels allowed us to express those intimacies with people um, without having these tensions on our head, without having to expose ourselves or reveal ourselves. And that's changing um, in Afghanistan. And, and I remember 2012, um, there was uh, these cars in Afghanistan that were having like rainbow stickers and they became uh, a news in, in the US. So Washington Post and others started writing about it. I don't know if you all remember it, that, oh, Afghanistan's coming out. All the cars are carrying rainbow flags and stickers. And those became a trend in Afghanistan, not because they were equating rainbow with queer and trans. It was just that rainbow is beautiful. That's how I was raised. Uh, and so when they heard that, the drivers in Afghanistan, uh, because there was a news, news articles in the West, and then they also were translated back in the Afghan newspapers, they started thinking that, oh, they're calling us queer, so they had to remove that. And then they said, oh, the drivers were so homophobic, they removed that. And so that narrative of like, forces that, that like, pushes people, and that goes back to that how we can decolonize uh, queer, how we can decolonize our own understandings, it's these ways that our uh, history, uh, if we think about Hafiz, Rumi, and Sultan Mahmoud al-Ghaznawi, all of these, Many, many queer people, poets and artists and, and scholars have come and left and from our lives and we grew up with their work. Um, but the narrative started changing and the narrative is changing. So how to go back to that is a, a, a lot of work, but it's a work that we all can do. And we are seeing instances and places that people are trying to trouble that and, and go to back to their queer history. Yeah, very well said. This reminds me so much of aspects in indigenous culture that are uh, like pre pre colonial history. For example, like two spirit spirited. Uh, so much of the homophobia that exists now is just a product of colonialism. Um, I'm I've been thinking a lot thinking a lot throughout this conversation about the aspect of being from a collectivist community. But uh, Wazina, you mentioned um, like chosen family but also the love that you have for your family. I think growing up in a collectivist community, we're all collectivists at heart. It's very hard to remove ourselves from that. Um, I'm wondering what, what you all think of um, the individualist approach to a lot of the issues we have in our communities, and mm -hmm. if there are any collectivist approaches uh, to addressing homophobia and transphobia and, and making our communities more stronger and healthy. Um, if, anyone, if anyone had any thoughts on that, Weiss, if you had any, any thoughts on that as well. Weiss, all the eyes are on the ally. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm gonna address that. <laughs> well, I think, <laughs> Well, now that now that now that all the now that I'm um, now that I had everyone staring at me, I think, and this actually stems back to what Kais was saying earlier when it comes to uh, sharing 
the not necessarily the burden but to do the work outside of just patting Kais on the back during AAC and then going back to our normal you know our our everyday lives as if as if it's done like I did my I did my allyship because I went to his session at at AAC once a year uh you know going back to it and I it it involves a lot of self critical like Mm-hmm. analysis at least so for me uh, i'll just use myself as, as an example uh when the summer war network had a uh when the i think at the start of pride month we put out i think uh a a message that said i think it was queer queer muslims are still muslim i believe that was it was something along those lines and then there was a couple other ones as well and I was, you know, because I'm a member of the Samoa Network, I'm resharing everything. And I paused on that one. And I was, and not because I didn't believe it. I actually do sincerely believe it. But I was thinking of what posting this will affect me. Like I was, it was very, it, it was a very self-centered way of thinking of, you know, well, I mean, most people know that I'm married, so like they're not going to assume anything about myself, so I'm not, you know, it it might not be a... and then I had to catch myself from from thinking that. Long story short, I did post it. <laughs> but but the fact that I had to stop and think about that one specifically kind of was a it was a wake-up call for myself of just how much am I willing to do the work? And I think when it comes to that collectivist thought that Almas was saying, where when it comes to cisgendered uh, heterosexual Afghans, to know that it's more, doing the work is beyond just saying things in private, but actually what, what does this mean to me on a public sense? Because to be honest, like, even within our conversation here, I have to acknowledge that my personal safety compared to the rest of you is probably not in threat, right? Like I'm, I'm probably, I mean, knock on wood, but I'm the most likely to be okay. So what does that mean? That means that I should be putting myself out there more using that privilege and using that understanding of my personal safety is not at is not as much of a threat now within living in the u.s it kind of is anyway um because i'm a i'm a person of color that is um you know there's a there's always going to be an inherent threat at my life but not to the same degree and not within those intersections so understanding that part of our collective thought identities and our collective you know afghan diaspora to know that hey if i'm in a position of privilege um one acknowledging where my weak weakest points are and allowing myself to be vulnerable enough to acknowledge that that's a weak point and still try to push on through beyond it and as much as when we're talking about collective collective thoughts, but it still comes with individual accountability, mm-hmm. right? Where I'm accountable. I have to be accountable to myself as much as I, which is 
I, I mean, I personally think is as important as holding the members of my community accountable because it's, I find it so much easier to call out other people than it is to call out myself. And I, I feel like I want to spend as much time calling myself out and not just calling myself out with no action at the end of it, but to actually allow that to have some sort of public demonstration that shows it. I realized I was rambling a bit, so I'll stop. Oh, I, I think that was really well said. Uh, in addition to calling ourselves out, being from collectivist communities, there's also the aspect of calling our families out when having those conversations. Um, was, you know, really reminded me of like having some of these conversations with my parents and how much they actually surprised me. Uh, I think sometimes we don't give our elders enough credit. Of course, mm -hmm. there's a lot of homophobia and um, violent rhetoric within our communities, but I do think we have the responsibility to have those difficult conversations, very similar to having Black Lives Matter conversations with our families too. Um, they're difficult, but they're, but they're important. Um, still Can think I, I just ask a question from Diva? Diva? Jana? ما درباره مثلا مسائل گپ میگفتن که چی رقم بسیار کسایی که حمایت میکنن حمایت کنندگان کسای اجتماع کویر هم جنسگره چی حمایت رو تو بایساب از افغان ها گرفتی و یا از فامیل خودت چی حمایت های شده بر تو یا نشده میشه درباره از یک چند کلمه بر ما بگویی؟ از افغان ها حمایت در اروپا موقع نشدم نه به ایجنوان چون همگی میترسن که ارتباط بگیرن میگن اگر ما همراه تو کانتکت بگیریم مردم سر ما گپ میزنن شاید مثلا تلفنی مسیج یا مثلا این تو کار از طرف فامیل خودم که دیگه میگن که امرایش کانتکت بگیریم بهتر است که آبروی ما نره بیابگری نکنه منظور از فامیل شاید مثلا کاکا یا ماما اینا اما, اما برای من شخصا اما گیشان 98 فیصد من مثلا بیخی تو پس کردن گفتن بروی شاید یک دو فیصد مادر مادرم یا خوهرهای ما یک چند دختر کاکا و بچه کاکا که اونا هم دیجه هستن دیگه دیگه ممایه نمیشن افغان ها ترس دارن ما افغان ها میترسیم از گب مردم که الان اگه ای را ما امایت کنیم سرمان چیال میایه و نمی کنن و من برشان یک قم میتم از یک لحاظ از یک لحاظ نمیتم خوستن در مردم هایی که در اروپا هستن کلان شدن اما هنوز همون مفکوری که قدیم داشتن و مفکوره های بستر دارن و قبول نمی کنن ابدا من یک دوست افغان داشتم ایجا تولد شده بود ترانس uh, بود uh, مادرش قبول کرد و پدرش میگفت اگر کدام وقت خودت بخوای چنج کنی یا چی من تو را میکشم و او بچه گم شد من دیگه ندیدم اون کجا رفت فکر میکنم رفت آل کانادا بیخی قطرس داشته ایجه تولد شده بود باش خیره من ترشم اکنم سو دیپا ادید they're scared, what would people say? And so even in, in Europe, those who claim that they support, they might do it through text. They would text her, but not so openly to come and, and be in contact with, with Diva. 
personally or with other queer and trans people because it's, there's a fear of that they why are they reaching out why are they uh, surrounding themselves with queer and trans people and personally for Deepa mentioned that um, majority of the family has cut her out have rejected her and that's a very common shared uh, experience for a lot of queer and trans Muslims and also for a lot of out uh, queer and trans Afghans and in the case of Diva mentioned that the only two pe three people who are uh, talking to her are her mom and maybe sisters and some cousins who also the cousins live in uh, Germany um, so also like then a wrap up that she did was that a lot of people who are in Europe Afghans they have brought all those very old traditions and ideas with them and 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 so they they have lived with that and they continue to live with that to the point that one uh, trans person that Diba knew uh, disappeared because uh, when uh, he came out to the family, the mom accepted her. Uh, but then the dad said that if you fully transition, I'm going to kill you. So the, the person had to just leave and go somewhere else. Probably uh, Diva was saying that left some Germany and went to a completely in place and nobody knows where. So the disappearances of queer and trans people that are physical, they're so, comes from these process of violence on them through family members, through community, that they feel rejected, so they have to find survival somewhere else. That, that rejection and that shunning and that silent treatment, that's definitely a form of course. مثلا <laughs> That's good. That's a great point that uh, Deepa mentioned that there are some Afghan families who are actually supporting her and who also believe that this is how God has uh, created you. So if God has created you in this way, in this sense, why wouldn't I accept you and respect you? And this, you are a crea uh, creation of Allah. And for that reason, they are supporting uh, Deepa, but Deepa said that there's also, but there are also other Afghans who just want to meet with her to see what a trans person look like. So it's a sense of curiosity. They want to learn that. Uh, but then there's also because maybe there's lack of knowledge on the queer, um, particularly also trans Afghans in the community. So th the internet is expanding that knowledge and exposing people to multiple um, knowledges on, on these issues. You know, engaging in this space, especially well, like. Offering Katushko. Oh, but we should go to the.
گفتم خوبه است بگو گفت مثلا مثلا یک چیز بسیار مهم نیست بازم که مهم است وقتی که با من مثلا دوست میشن میگن که خود تو ایزک هستی امینوی که رقم توستن شما چول دارین یا مثلا واجن زنانه کست دارین باز من, من برشون تشریم میکنم مثلا من نیه بچه هستم باز میگه خب تو مثلا چه قسمی چه خوش داری مثلا باز فقط همه گیره بیشتر بچه ها رو میبینن مثلا لزبیان ها رو ایج نمیشناسن گیه ایج نمیشناسن فقط همی ترانس هم میشناسن که یک بچه هست که شاید خوش داره دختر شده یکی نمیره میشناسن و شک دارن میگن شاید سینه داری شاید مثلا یک تامان دیگه داری و همشون میکنن Mm. So Debo was mentioning that like a lot of those who come and even ask her wants to get to know her, they in some ways, Debo is implying that it's just like a violation of privacy and two like asking questions to two that are too personal, whether are you a boy or a girl, what sort of like genitals do you have that become so personal. And then um, they also have that curiosity only towards people um, who are they call them Isaac, and then so they, they ask them those questions. They have no sort of like curiosity or even understanding and knowledge that they're also lesbian Afghans. They're also gay Afghans. They're also bisexual Afghans. So there's only that the, they only want to know the trans because it's so different for, for them. And it's also that they think that those are the only ones who exist because they're visible and they sometimes are um, was thinking, uh, he was saying that, that there are some communities of them in Germany. Sorry, Weiss, I was just joking. No, I, <laughs> Kais, I, I've had an, enough of a, of a relationship with you to know <laughs> I can, and also, I also understand uh, it, it's important for me to step back. I, I guess the, the reason why I wanted to just jump in very quickly is that in talking about personal accountability versus having engagement within your family spaces, things like that. I didn't intend to make it seem like I'm belittling that second thing. I think it's highly important to have these kind of conversations. Uh, just from my own personal experience, I, I find it that the biggest point to drive within family spaces that might not be super um, aware is this concept that I, I feel like at least within spaces that I'm familiar with, there's this deep-seated thought that at the end of the day, it's still a choice. It's still mm -hmm. something that a person wants to do. Like it's a, it's, it's, it's not something that, and that's, and Diva's point reminded me of that where she indicated that the people who have been accepting, they are accepting because they understand that that's how the person was, that's how God made them. That's how, mm -hmm. that's how they were born. And so, which is why I find it interesting talking about the intersectionality of like BLM and Afghan minorities, where I'm finding that more and more people are becoming more and more accepting of, of these differences because they, it's very clear to them that this is just how God made them. You know, they're, they're, they're that way. Like, so we have to, of course we have to accept them, but I'm finding the resistance towards queer, trans, LGBTQ, all, all of that is there's still that block that prevents them from accepting that that's something that God made, um, made someone. So when it comes to my engagement within family space, within friend space, is 
pushing that um that button that that hindrance that they have so i yeah i wanted to just jump in just to say that i think it is very important to have those kinds of conversations um i had a question actually uh, i know we um when we talk about lgbt experiences it's always this really depressing conversation because the reality is you know the people with these lived experiences will face violence and, and push back. Um, but I'm wondering if if you, you guys have had any affirming experiences and, and maybe what are your experiences with self-love and empowering yourselves and empowering each other, um, if anyone wants to speak to that. Do you wanna go first, please? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a great question, yes, we do. Uh, tend to talk about the, the, the major struggles, but also there are um, celebrations of our identities and the self-love that oftentimes um, Afghans in general are not taught from a young age to love themselves because we tend to, we're told to love God and Allah and then the prophet and then love our parents and love our siblings and all that. By the time we, we get to a point of self-love, we are already adult and we don't have that relationship which is a problem from a very young age. Um, but for me, my relationship with God has really, uh, during a time that I grew up in Afghanistan, during the war, and then the fact that I survived, I said, I've survived multiple uh, displacements and also multiple wars, and, and that has strengthened my relationship with God. And through that, I have of started also loving myself because I knew there is an entity who loves me and that was God, that was Allah. And, 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 and with that, my relationship I've, from a very young age, I was not narcissistic, but I loved myself. I knew how to protect myself. Despite the forces around me, I knew where to find peace and that was usually poetry. I uh, wrote poems and, and I found um, uh, peace and, and love in those uh, moments that everybody would sleep late at night and I would just sit and write in under the moonlight because we didn't have electricity. So those memories of even that allows me today to continue loving myself because I have come from a place that it's dark, it's, it's war, and where I am today uh, is a blessing but it's also magic and those are queer magics that happens when we start loving ourselves and that also i do have many privileges that many people wouldn't have um for me uh focusing on the resilience the joy of being queer and afghan and muslim is the center of my work um it's why I became a sex educator, I wanted to focus, I knew when I was younger, I was going to go back to Afghanistan, I was going to like do maternal infant health. And I remember being towards like, a, before, and I was like, I want to talk about pleasure. I want to talk about things that make me feel good. I don't want it just to be a half sad thing only. And, you know, and that's also reality. Maternal infant health is a true and real issue, um, public health issue in Afghanistan and abroad. So for me, it's like, I want to center joy and delight. Um, coming out Muslim, the storytelling work is about off, everyone thinks it's going to be one thing and it's just only some of it is complex but it's meant to center the good stories like the light stories um because 
we are filled with some darkness and war and struggle and traumas. And so it's nice to talk about the, the, the pleasurable stuff. Um, I always liked having focusing on the celebration, the wins, the wins won't always look like the way we thought they were going to look, but the fact that I can hang out with my dad, you know, now after having been kicked out of the house way back when that's a win you know, like I can replicate my mom's kurmas flavor. That's a win. Like, so there's ways that I like to center that for myself because it's, really hard to be us, any of us in this world. And so um, I really enjoy focusing on the celebrations. Um, and that is an act of self-love. I have, a, I struggle with um, it, mm-hmm. like self-care um, as much, mm-hmm. but I appreciate um, the fact that we are a collectivist community or in some many ways um, that then is community care. I, I rely on community care. I rely on my siblings in this conversation, all five of us. Um, so for me, that's like the, the heart of it. Um, to yeah flip the narrative as we're doing flipping the script دیوان <laughs> نشاد خوشی که تو داری کدام چیزها بر تو لذت می بخشه و خوشی می ده جواب شماییست که از طرف خودم من خواب از وقتی که فهمیدم می تسمستم همیشه کوشش میکنم تلاش میکنم اما بسیار در یک مثل قفص بودم نی یک جای خودم مثلا وقتی که پدر و مادرم خانه نبود می رفتن تو جای باز من میشتم خانه باز مثلا چادری سر میکردم میکاپ میکردم لطفی می مادرم بزن بوتای کن بلند هم میپشتیدم باز یک قسم خود من مثلا خوش میزاختم باز کرد کلانتر شدم دیگه بسیار سخت بود از وقت ریش کشیده بودم و اینا نصفایش ها مثلا کلگه که خواب بود باز میرفتم در بیرون ها چادر مادرم رو میگرفتم میپشتم میرفتم در بیرون ها یک چند بارم فریست مرا گرفته بود و سریرم بسیار لط بیخی دیگه در بعدی که بکشن مرا پدرم در ایران در ایران و دیگه خودم بیشتر در پنهان خوش میساختم میتونم نمیتونستم اما مثلا فامیل میفهمید و پیش مادرم دیگه کلانتر کشاب دو میکاب میکنیم نمینا مرا راضی میکرد و مثلا یک بچه را که میدید و مثلا خوش میشتم بازی تو اک تک میکردم سنوش بازی توی تو میکردم تو میکردم که خود مخلش بزازم در اروپا که آمدم باز وز بیتر شد دیجا تنها هستم اما اون چیزی که میخواهیم واقعا همو شد بگیم That's a really دیبا was just adding thank you دیبا جان دیبا found joy when nobody was around her when Diva was a kid, they would, the mom and sisters would leave and Diva would put makeup on and wear the chadari and, and the scarf and put on the heels and, and feel happy for those moments and joy. And then um, that was most often when she was by herself uh, because living with the family, it's oftentimes you don't get that moments of solitude and then finding yourself and loving yourself. And then when um, Diva started growing beard, and then it was hard to do that. 
uh, but also um, Debo mentioned that one time uh, they were wearing um, a chadar and they were in public and they were arrested by police. Um, which was also in Iran, and that's like transgression between your gender that also poses uh, many uh, instances of danger. And then, of course, ends up with sometimes the uh, police arresting people. Uh, but also now, um, Diva mentioned that in Germany it's different. I'm living by myself, and now that I'm more becoming public, so there is a joy in that. Uh, that I'm, I, but there are times that I also. Growing up, I only found joy in 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 when I whenever I I, I found myself alone and in in safe space. But now that's changing. Abu Gundi Bajan. Wa masalam lahti ki chardao panza bolun diga muwaq waqti diga mi fa mensam ki shias chinis. باز مثلا در وقتا خواهد یک خانوادی بسیار مذهبی داشتیم هیچ کار کرده نمیتونستم باز یک دو خواهر دیگه داشتم برای اونا مثلا به مادرم به دخترهای کاکا اینا همیشه همی وسایل و کالای بسیار زنانه رو برشان توفه میگیرفتم اونا برای خودم بود در اصل اما خواه نمیتونستم که اونا رو خودم استفاده کنم باز به اونا توفه بودم باز میگفتم پیش من اینا رو بکشین استفاده کنیم Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and so Diba added that when um, when Diba was younger, at 14, 15 years old, so she knew that she couldn't wear the clothes she wanted, the makeup, so she would buy them and give it to her sisters and cousins and tell them to wear it around uh, her, so then she would see and, and find joy in them wearing what she actually wanted to wear. I think that's a great place to also maybe wrap this conversation on a very yeah. beautiful yet uh, complicated note. Yeah, thank you so much, Deepo John, for sharing that story. Um, this conversation can last forever, right? We can, we can sit here and have this conversation for the rest of today and pick it up tomorrow. Unfortunately, uh, Kais, Wazina, Almas, Diba, you all have busy lives and have to also do <laughs> other things. So, but we we do want people to still engage in the thoughts, still engage in the process. So I'm going to open the floor now for each of you uh, to share a reading recommendation for our listeners, our viewers. What what is something that you've read that you strongly recommend to allow this conversation to keep going forward. So I'll start with Almos and then. Um, I think a text that really speaks to me uh, is it's called Queer Phenomenology by Sarah Ahmed. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I did my degree in philosophy and I, I didn't realize that this was an area that I could study what I have always studied, but with, uh, without a white hetero lens. Um, so that's a text that really, really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, Kais, do you have a recommendation before Wazina gets, gets hers in? Um, a book that I can recommend, there's so many. So now I'm like, which one of them I first 
which would also be more accessible um, to people that they can actually read and understand uh, from a different uh, perspective. One book that is, it's called uh, Queer Divas. It's by Martin Manasalan, uh, who writes about the reason I mentioned that one, Queer Divas, because it uh, brings the diasporic aspect to it of writing about the Filipino uh, queer people in New York. So it's, it's easy, accessible, but also through um, interviews and gives an understanding of what happens in the diaspora for people uh, who are exploring their identities and sexuality. Um, I would always recommend anything by James Baldwin. <laughs> Because his writing, yeah, everything that he writes, it's I, it's all very complex, but very I think not even accessible. It's just it, it's relevant all the time, yes. even when it was written sixty years ago. Um, and I also really enjoy um, she's a Canadian-based person, Samra Habib, yes. um, and she wrote her queer Muslim memoir that came out. Um, it's called We Have Always Been Here, and I just enjoy her as a somebody I've known, um, but also like we need those books on library shelves and in books in schools. And so just to be so that they're there. Um, so Samra Habib's book and anything by James Baldwin. I just want to say as, as someone who is cisgendered hetero, my, my job right now isn't to recommend a book. It's to read all the books that you, you all suggested. So that's where I'm at. I think that was my alarm for my next session. <laughs> um, I think, um, is, it, is it okay to wrap up? Yeah. Does Diba have a recommendation? I have a recommendation. so Diva was giving a recommendation for a book uh, by Shadi Amin that's on trans and queer people. Um, th there's both versions, the English and Farsi version. Mm. <laughs> there's a movie that uh, the Danish girl um, that yeah. you all need to watch. So that was the <laughs> recommendation. I remember that film. Yeah, that's on my list, Diva. I will watch it. Thank you for the recommendation, especially the film recommendation. Yeah. I think the Farsi text might be helpful for not only people who uh, whose English is in the primary language, but also our, our parents' generation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess wrapping up, I yeah. want to say, 
I just want to say uh, thank you guys so much for for sharing the space with us. Um, I feel like I learned a lot, and yeah, it's just been it's been a really great experience. Uh, and thank you for our listeners uh, for choosing us. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, but we we appreciate you even to listen to us. Um, if you are interested in learning more about what we do, uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and our website, the Sum of Our Network. Um, I want to give the opportunity for you all to plug your socials and where people can learn more about the work that you do as well. Uh, Kais, where can we learn more about, uh, about your work? Uh, my work uh, is coming in uh, publication soon. So I'm working on a couple of journal articles. Um, and I have some book chapters that they can read. Uh, you just type my name, you'll find a lot of that work, but also you can follow me on Instagram. Um, just type my name and some of my work there. Ibojan? Social media for Diva? Social media, Tabago? Can I follow it? Can I? Absad Ashtadono, Diva, Absad Ashtadono. Password, can I? Diva, Absad Ashtadono, Diva, Farah, Instagram, Mibala. Diva, Farah, on Instagram. I recommend that because it's yes. so so educational, entertaining, and radical. Mm -hmm. um, and folks can do coming at muslim.com although i mean i don't i'm not a website person i don't do anything and I'm, I'm just like some sub like i'm not a millennial i think i'm like just on the cusp of nothing i'm like a luddite um but <laughs> i'm on, in, I'm on, on instagram beginning of millennial. <laughs> what do you say you are a millennial <laughs> So, yes. okay, another subject, another time. But yeah, what was Ina? I made sure I took all those handles on everything on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, already yeah. doing a better job than, than us, <laughs> and reserving those handles. Um, thank you so much for, for being here with us, and uh, you guys have a great day. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. That's <laughs> The Sound of Our Network.